<laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Um, we're going to be reading from Haggai today, chapter two. Sorry. <laughs> yes. That's chapter 1 or chapter 2? Chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Yeah? Are we there? Okay. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and thank you that you speak to us. And we just open our hearts to you today that you will speak into our circumstances and situations. Amen. Right. This is one of the um, prophets that was sent to the children of Israel when they came back um, from exile. So a bit of context before we read it. Um, they had disobeyed God persistently and eventually what God said would happen, happened. So the Babylonians came and uh, sacked the whole of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple totally and then spread um, sent them out to lots of different places across the empire. We would remember that we, oh, years back we looked at Nehemiah and that was the story of their beginning to return back to Jerusalem. And um, that was after the Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Persian Empire. And there was a king called Cyrus who was really, I think God put him there for a specific purpose, it says in Isaiah. And he let them go back which is kind of unthinkable, really. He let them go back and they started rebuilding the temple. And if you remember, and we did Nehemiah, um, there was a lot of opposition when they started rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and laid the foundation of the temple. They celebrated it, but there were lots of people, Sambalat, Tobias, come to mind. I love the sound of their names, so I don't forget their names. And they came and, you know, were really... Je making jest of them and saying, you know, what kind of walls are you building? If a fox landed on it, it will fall over kind of thing. So that's the context. And we finish the book of Nehemiah with a, a lot of anticipation that things were going well. And then suddenly we pick it up in Haggai and things had not gone well because somehow the rebuilding of the temple had stopped. And so God seeing what had happened. I think it'd been about 18 years since the first exiles returned that Haggai begins to speak into this context. So on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai speaking to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Je Jehozadak, the high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord. So it's interesting, during our worship this morning, we talked about temple. And uh, what what I was thinking when I was reading this is, kind of like the God factor in things, that there is a God factor in things. So you have here the story of two temples. There was the original temple that was built, Solomon's temple, amazing, amazing edifice. It kind of, you couldn't, if you, where it was sited as you were coming into Jerusalem, you could just sit in all its glory. And a lot of the things in the temple were kind of gold-plated. It was built with the best of the wood, not from, not from Israel, from Lebanon, where they had amazing wood. So all of everything that made that temple was just glorious, just amazing. And you could see just before you came into it, there would be this huge basin. Um, I think it was inlaid with gold, and then also it had gold plates on it. You could just see in the sun what it would just have felt like. That was just a glimpse of what the glory of the first temple was. And of course, when um, Nebuchadnezzar came and sacked Jerusalem, all that was destroyed. And then they'd gone into exile and then God brought them back and they started to build another temple. Can you imagine what it would have felt like if you were in exile and come back? Because when Solomon built that first temple, he had a lot of financial resources to do it. In fact, at that time in Jerusalem, if you saw bronze. They said that the saying was like, gold was so easy to come by, was like silver, treated like silver, and silver was treated like bronze, and bronze was like, you know, you were living in a time when things were really amazing, and life was great, and wealth was everywhere, and suddenly they came back as exiles, and there was really nothing, and if they wanted to build this, instead of the cedars of Lebanon, they just went out into you know, the back of beyond in Jerusalem and gathered wood that wasn't anything amazing. It just was not anything like the splendor of the first temple. And what I just felt as I was reading this through was that in the midst of where they were at, God knew where they were at. He recognized that they were plain, ordinary human beings like you and I, who in that context will sometimes just think, what, what am I bothering? Why am I doing this? Because some of the grandparents and parents could remember what that glorious temple looked like. And here they were having to rebuild another temple and they're like, why am I bothering? And I'm not surprised that they kind of gave up after a while, but because God really cares about them, he cares about being with them. He recognized that the temple signified something for them. It was where the presence of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. So he sent someone to tell them, I am with you. The number of times he said it in that short scripture that we read, be strong, 
I am with you. You know, don't think and look back. And it's very natural for us, isn't it? To always think back and think, oh yeah, the number of times I hear people talk about the good old days when this was this and that was that. You know, but here God is saying, even now, where this temple that you're building looks like absolute rubbish compared to the amazing one that was there before, I'm still saying to you, I am with you. My presence is with you. It, you look on the outside and you think about the glory of what the old temple was like. I am saying, whatever this new temple looks like, it is still my presence that is going to be right in that temple with you. I am with you. And I guess it, it, it um, brought to mind for me how God seeks to encourage us if we would just let him. He really is an encourager himself. That's who he is. He would seek to encourage us if we let him. And the second thing it makes me think of is, how am I encouraging other people? Because we see lots of different people all the time. We've no idea where people are at. We don't know what they're grappling with. We don't know what things are like for them. But we have an opportunity when we connect with people to be a source of encouragement to them. Because they might be there building their own temple with wood that's just drawn from outside rather than wood from Lebanon. They might be there trying to build their own little temple that instead of, I'm thinking back at the glorious temple, but we have an opportunity to be an encouragement to other people. And also the fact that human beings tend to look on the outside. It is said that if you meet someone and you open your mouth, by the time you've spoken for 60 seconds, they formed opinions about you, lots of opinions about you, 60 seconds worth of just connecting, less than actually connecting with people, they've already formed opinions about you. But God's not like that. He looks on the inside. He doesn't just look on the outside. And, you know, it's a bit like today as well. Outside is amazing. I'm sure we're all feeling a little bit chirpier than we were. We would have been on a dreary day. We are just conditioned like that, but God isn't. And it's an encouragement to us that he's not like that. I love um, 1 Corinthians 1.27. It says that God takes the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And then he takes the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He lives in a kind of upside down way, kingdom. We, we talk about that all the time. He's just like that. He likes to do it. It's a bit like I just love to boast with people who recognize that they're weak, recognize that they're foolish, because then... The reason he does it is 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says that he, this treasure is in clays of, uh, jars of clay so that the excellence will be of God, so that the extraordinary power of it will belong to God and not to us. So I want to encourage all the jars of clay that are here this morning, <laughs> of which I am chief, that God really loves jars of clay so that he can demonstrate his excellence through us. And also, let's look for jars of clay, not write anybody off, because God doesn't write us off and let's not write anybody off. And I love the way that passage ends. Um, here we are, one moment we're talking about a temple 
that's been rebuilt that isn't anything like the old temple. And it's like the prophet just goes off on a tangent and begins to talk about, yet in a little while, I'll shake the heavens and the desire of the nations will come. I'll always love that about God because it's like he loves to take our perspective away from here and take us to the bigger picture. It's like his bird's eye view. It's the kind of view he wants us to see from. So he's saying, here you are, you're building this temple. You look back, you see temple number one, all of its glory. Well, I'm going to tell you something else that you probably wouldn't know unless I tell you, that there is going to be another day that's coming, that there'll be this glorious temple. You know, when it says the desire of nations will come, I've always read that scripture and thought about Jesus and thought he is the desired of nations. But actually, if you read in newer translations, it doesn't quite say that anymore. They've looked at the word and what it now says is that the treasures of the nations will come. So in a sense, God is saying to them, so either you think of it as the desired of nations with Jesus or you think about the treasures of nations, there is coming a time where what you see now, what, what is coming is going to be even more glorious than what was and what you see now. The, the treasures of the... I forgot to say that to exiles, people who were just returning, that there will come a day when the treasures of the nations were brought to you. I'm sure you'll be thinking, are you sure you've got the right address, God? <laughs> are you sure it's this, this nation you're speaking to? These people who are just trying to rebuild this little puny temple, nothing like the old temple. And he says, there will come a day when the treasures of the nations will be brought again into Jerusalem. What that speaks to me of is that it's easy for us to live like in the here and now, and just only think about the here and now. And I'm not at all suggesting we'd be escapists in any way, but our, our faith is, is, is situated within a bigger picture that we need to lift our heads up now and again and recognize that there's a bigger picture in what we're about. It was such a privilege yesterday to be at the launch of the um, Sheffield faith action audit and to hear all the incredible sum of all the incredible things that were happening in the city six awards given and praise the lord two from for ncs so that was great to celebrate that but for me it also reminded me that beyond sheffield there is a nation where god is moving in ways that sometimes we just don't get to hear because we just don't get to know there is a world where God is moving. We don't get to hear sometimes, and he's moving is amazing. But there is also coming a time and a day. So there is the current now, but there is the time to come when our glorious God will again come in all his glory and all the nations of this earth will become the nations of our God and of his Christ, and we get to reign with him. Sometimes it's important for us to see the bigger picture so that whatever we're doing right now, we know it fits into this thing that God is doing. So I just want to encourage us with that and say, how do you see what you're doing, the little bit of what you're doing and the bigger picture of what God is doing? Sometimes we need to remind ourselves because that was one of the ways that God encouraged them as they were building that little Shall we pray? Father, we just want to thank you that you are an awesome God. And we thank you that um, 
It doesn't matter how small what we're doing is. It doesn't matter when we look back and see how awesome and glorious things were in the past. We thank you that in the midst of our little contribution to your awesome kingdom, you come alongside us and you say to us, be strong, keep going. I am with you. My presence is with you. I want to thank you that we sometimes look at things and maybe even write things off and say, oh, that's only a jar of clay. But you say that in that jar of clay, your excellence is, can be seen that your power can be seen. And we want to ask you, Lord, that as we go about whatever we get to do with you, you'll help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, to fix our gaze on the bigger picture of what you're doing in and 